reading today comes from Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. Um, Renia will read and Pastor Clint will preach from the Word after that. Good morning. Um, can we open our Bibles in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 8? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are the trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, but as for the cowardly, the faithful, faithless, the detestables, as for the murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Clint. Thanks, Renia. Thank you for reading. And a very good morning and happy new year to everyone today. It's great to see so many in church this morning. I feel like I should say well done for making it today. Uh, we did the early fireworks at Malulabar last night so we could be home by nine, bed by ten. We heard nothing at midnight. But I trust that it is a new year despite all appearances. And a very, I wish you a very blessed new year and a very blessed 2023. Um, can I just say as well, great to have the Beach Mission guys with us today. Where are you? There you are. Great. Um, am I right in saying the Beach Mission's been running for about 100 years? That's right, yeah. It's been running for over 100 years. Anyone here who went to Beach Mission as a kid? I didn't, but yes, there's a few. Great. Any, yep. You were a leader on Beach Mission. And a cook. Mip was there. That's uh, <laughs> right. I'd be careful, Des. You're sitting right next to her. Great. No, it's, it's a fantastic mission. Please be praying for the guys this week. Please also, if you've got kids um, and you get along and support it, it's a great week. We had our, our kids at the Moffat Beach one last year, and it was really fantastic. Great way to get uh, kids excited about Jesus. And it's great to have such a great team doing it as well. We're very encouraged by them and want to support in any way we can. Well, let's pray. This is God's word. Let's ask for God's help as we understand it. 
Our Lord and our God, the Bible is your word. We pray this morning that as it is read and opened, that it would find its mark on our hearts. Lord, we pray that it would go forward to accomplish that which you have sent it out for, that it wouldn't return to you void. And Lord, we would go from here this morning changed and encouraged to be more like Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen. Well, please do have a Bible open with you at Revelation 21. Please also have the order of service where you'll find a brief outline of this morning's message. And let me say, great to be in church this morning uh, on the first day of the new year. Great to be together with Jesus' people, together uh, with the Lord Jesus. And a bit later as well, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together uh, to to, to fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus as we begin a new year. Now, of course, 2022 is over and 2023 has begun. Thank God for that. Uh, With 2022 behind us, we can enjoy all the endless possibilities that a new year has to offer. Of course, 2022 had its ups. Uh, Pandemic restrictions were largely rolled back here in Australia. Uh, The Socceroos did reasonably well in the World Cup. Uh, NASA launched the Artemis I, the most powerful rocket ever. And doctors in the U.S. completed the first successful heart transplant from a pig into a human. 2022 was quite a year. Of course, based on that list, you realize I had to scrape some of those to try and find some highlights, but there you are. (laughs) Of course, we did also have our downs in 2022. Queen Elizabeth II passed away, age 96, after an absolutely historic reign. Here in Australia, we lost Aussie icons like Shane Warne and Olivia Newton-John. Russia invaded Ukraine. Inflation and interest rates rose faster than they have for decades, putting many under financial pressure. And the World Health Organization reported that COVID infections, reported ones, had reached 650 million worldwide. It was quite a year. Now, you might have had your own personal ups and downs in the last year, too. You might have done really well at school. You might have welcomed a new, uh, new child into your family. You might have started uh, a fresh life here on the Sunshine Coast. Or, on the other hand, you might have had bad health news in the last year. You might have lost a loved one. You might have struggled through some other crisis. Whatever it is, I think we're all approaching the new year asking the question, will 2023 be any better than 2022? I certainly hope so. But then again, what guarantees do we have? We can approach the new year in high spirits. We can approach the new year with the highest hopes, but we're still asking the question, will the new year be a better year? Now, I think the Bible's got something very important to say to us this morning as we gather in the morning light of a brand new year, as we face the uncertainty of the next 12 months. And I think Revelation 21 is particularly relevant for us today. So have that open, and we're going to look at that passage together. Well, in the passage Renee read for us earlier, and my flick is not working, so it'd be great if you could flick it over for me. Thanks, mate. You need to know that the I in this chapter is a man called John. John is writing the words we've read this morning. And John was one of Jesus' closest friends. He, lived, uh, he outlived the other of the 12 apostles, and he was exiled to a small island off today's Turkish coast, an island called Patmos. And I don't know why this is not working. Can you flick over to the map? That'd be great. I don't know if you can see that, but this might have a little... Yep, there we go. I've got a little laser pointer. There we go. There's Patmos, little island. This is Turkey today, the east coast, west coast of Turkey. 
Back then it was called Asia Minor, it was a province of Rome. And you might recognize some of the other places here, like Ephesus is there where the church uh, received the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, A few other places mentioned in the New Testament in that area. Now, John was sent there in the 80s or 90s AD um, because the emperor Domitian found that he couldn't kill John, so he exiled him instead. Uh, Of course, today the island belongs to Greece, and Traveller magazine calls Patmos the next Greek island you need to visit. We'll grab the next picture there, thanks. Uh, Beautiful place. It scores 4.6 stars on Google. But of course, that wasn't uh, what the brochure said in the late first century when John was there. I don't think it quite looked like that. Anyway, God didn't waste John's time on Patmos. John actually tells us earlier in the book that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. That's how the book begins. It's a vision that John received from God. And it's these visions that we've got recorded for us as the book of Revelation today. Now, if you've ever looked at Revelation before or heard about Revelation, you probably know it as a very confusing book. It's full of weird pictures and bizarre images. But the point of Revelation is very, very clear. Jesus wins in the end. And so if you ever get stuck reading Revelation or something's not clear, keep that in mind like a lighthouse Uh, In a dark night on a stormy sea, Jesus wins in the end. All the images that John sees are real, but in a way they're also kind of compressed versions of heavenly realities that are simplified so we can grasp the most important aspects with our finite earthly minds. They're trying to exercise our imaginations, get us to understand things, uh, reminding us, of course, that Jesus wins in the end. Now, by the time we get to chapter 21, where we are today, John has seen the Lamb, which looks as though it had been slain, taking its rightful place on the throne in God's kingdom. And of course, this is a picture of the Lord Jesus in his death, his ascension, and his, his, uh, his resurrection and his ascension, uh, revealed in those kind of terms for John to understand that, yes, Jesus does win in the end. John's also seen God's angels in all their terrible splendor, going out to serve God's salvation plan. He's seen God's anger at sin poured out. He's seen the final defeat of Satan, of death, of Hades, and of those who stand opposed to God. And after all this, John gets a glimpse into an eternity beyond Jesus' victory. And that's what we've got in front of us today. Now, we're going to look at this passage this morning under two headings. The first is what John sees. Secondly, what John hears. And under each heading, we'll find two further points. So the first thing John sees is a new heavens and a new earth. So please look with me at verse 1. John tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Can you imagine being in John's shoes? He's just seen a great battle in which Satan and his hordes are defeated. He's seen the dead raised up for judgment. He's seen the judge with his great book open, the judgment of all whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life. He's seen the multitudes thrown into the lake of fire along with Satan himself. Suddenly it's all over and there's a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. By the way, this heaven is the sky with all its stars and planets. And what's interesting is this creation, it's, this new creation, it's recognizable. It looks like the old heavens. It looks like the old earth, which John knew. 
but it's new. The old heavens and the old earth have been replaced with something familiar but far better, kind of 2.0. John says that he looked and the sea was no more. Now, it's all the surfers and beachgoers. Uh, don't get upset just yet. We need to understand some of the imagery that Revelation uses. The sea is often used in the Bible as a picture of chaos, a law unto itself which God must subdue. So the Genesis 1 creation begins with the seas already in place, the waters. And as God creates, he brings order to the world. He separates the seas and gathers them up to distinguish the sea and the sky and the earth. He brings order into chaos. Another example, of course, is when Jesus is in the boat with his disciples in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus stills the storm because he's God. He brings order out of chaos. Our world is caught in the grip of chaos, isn't it? We just got to think of all the natural disasters we've experienced recently. You think of floods and uh, fires and droughts and storms and heat waves and cold snaps. And of course, there are viruses and bacteria, things so small we can't even see them, that thrown our world into chaos. And of course, humanity itself seems in the grip of chaos. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their sin affected the whole creation. So God tells Adam, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, cursed is the earth because of you. It's no wonder we need a new creation, a new creation where chaos is no more. John saw a new creation, familiar but far better, where chaos is done. So yes, there is cause for hope because there is a new heaven and a new earth on the way. Well, the second thing John sees is a new Jerusalem. And what he actually sees is a city set or dressed for a wedding. I mean, I wonder if you can even imagine that, a city that's dressed for a wedding. Remember, these images are meant more for our minds and our hearts than just for our eyes. So Revelation 21 verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Obviously, it is very hard to visualize, but God, uh, John's doing his best to describe what he saw. The important thing here is to realize what Jerusalem was in the Bible. Jerusalem was the city in Israel where the temple was. It was the place where Israel, God's people, came to worship God as the meeting point between God and his people on earth. But it didn't give unrestricted access to God. It was access to God on God's terms. Only the high priest could come before God directly and only once a year. Carefully performed sacrifices had to be made because of sin. A massive curtain separated the outer courts of the temple from the inner room where the priest could meet with God. Excuse me. And of course, because of Israel's sin and their rebellion against God, God allowed this nation, the city, and even the temple to be destroyed about 600 years before Jesus was born. But now, sin has been dealt with. God's promised rescuer has come. Jesus has paid the price for sin and, and through his death on the cross. And the temple curtain has been torn in too, so access to God is now available. Satan has been cast down into the lake of fire along with all those whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life. Sin is no more. There is no longer anything separating God, God and man. Jesus has bridged the gap. And so this new Jerusalem is a picture of this restored relationship. The Jerusalem comes down from God to his people 
where God might meet with his people and live amongst them as their God. It's a place where human beings can live with God safely forever in a restored relationship. It will be like it was for Adam and Eve back in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, but better because it can never end. Yes, there is hope. We have a new relationship with God to look forward to in his presence forever. That's what the new Jerusalem tells us. Well, John doesn't just see things. He also hears things. And there's two things he, he hears. The first thing is a loud voice. And it's a voice that's speaking to explain what he's seen. This is always very helpful when you read the book of Revelation. If anything doesn't make sense, yes, remember that in the end Jesus wins. But if you keep reading, someone usually comes along to explain what's going on. And this is no different. So look with me, please, at verse 3 and 4. John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What an incredible image, right? It's what we all want. We could easily summarize our New Year's hopes as this. Less death, less mourning, less crying, less pain than last year. Well, God says that the new creation will be like this. Death, pain, suffering, those are part of the old order, the former things, the consequences of sin, and they will all disappear. I'm a big fan of the novel The Lord of the Rings, And in the book, right towards the end, the hobbit Sam asks the wizard Gandalf towards the end of the story, is everything sad going to come untrue? And at the end of the Bible story, the answer is a resounding yes. Everything sad will become untrue. In fact, notice how deeply compassionate and personal this transformation will be. The hand of God himself will wipe the final tears from your eyes, and you will never weep again. Yes, there is hope. Because God will come to make everything new. Well, the last thing John hears is a king's voice in verse 5 to 8. Will anything escape this transformation? Will anything escape this renewal and restoration? Will there be any leftovers from the old order? Nothing at all. It's all going to be made new. So John hears one final voice in this passage. It's coming from the throne. It's the voice of the king, verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said to me, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. God says he is making all things new, everything. Never mind a new year, a new everything. When God says he's the Alpha and the Omega, he's referring to the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. These letters are often used to describe the ultimate limits of something. In this case, God himself stands at the very beginning of everything, and he will stand at the very end of everything. There is nothing outside or beyond or above God. Nothing gets past him. There are no other forces or factors which might have an external influence on his ability to renew all things. 
He also says he will give to those who thirst water from the spring of the water of life. What he means here is the eternal life of those who enjoy the new creation. God will sustain them forever with this water of life without payment. And that's because, of course, Jesus has already paid it all. It all sounds amazing, doesn't it? Who, who wouldn't want to be in this new creation? But the obvious question then, of course, is how do we get there? How do we get from 2023 to the new everything? In other words, what are the entry requirements? You know, if, if I go to a concert or a sports match or a movie, I need a ticket to get in. If I want to go play in the playground at McDonald's, there are certain entry requirements which I no longer um, am eligible for. What are the conditions? What are the entry requirements for the new creation? God himself tells us in verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So to have the hope of this new creation, of enjoying this new creation in God's presence for eternity, God says we need to conquer, we need to win. Does this mean we've somehow got to be victorious heroes fighting our way to heaven? Well, in a way, yes. But I think not in the way that Christian culture sometimes expresses itself. Today as ever, always spoiling for a fight. Always wanting to fight against everyone and everything who doesn't affirm our ideas and our convictions. It's not that. John actually explains how we conquer and how we overcome in his first letter. And it's something he understood before he even saw these visions. So if you've got a Bible with you, a few pages back from uh, Revelation 21, in 1 John chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen as well. It's great when the Bible explains the Bible, isn't it? What does it mean to overcome? Well, John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. For everyone who has been... Sorry, I'm just making sure I've got the right reference. Yes, I do. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, friends, those who get to enter into God's new creation are those who believe in Jesus Christ, who believe that he is the Son of God, who believe that he is who the Bible says he is, and who put their trust, their faith in him. It's trusting who he is and what he came to do, to destroy sin and death, to pay the price for our rebellion against God, to make peace between us and God. The new creation is through Jesus. And by faith, his victory becomes our victory. By faith, his conquering becomes our conquering. By faith, his overcoming becomes our overcoming. Of course, sadly, there is another side to the coin that not everyone will be included in the new creation. If we go back to Revelation 21 again. We see that it's not good news for everyone, sadly. Look at verse 8 with me of Revelation 21. But it says, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, <clears throat> excuse me, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, 
Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, this is really hard because if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that all of us fit into at least one category on that list. I don't believe for a moment there's anyone in this room who's never told a lie or faithlessly failed to trust God when we should have. We might not be sorcerers or murderers, but we all try to worship idols, fake gods, in place of our Creator. And this is actually what we need to overcome and to conquer. Because the battle's not out there. The battle's in here, in our own hearts. And this is exactly why we need Jesus. This is what we need Jesus to overcome. When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to no longer be defined and condemned as cowardly or detestable or faithless or sexually immoral or idolaters or liars. He made it possible instead for us to be defined as children of God, and for those who overcome through trust in Jesus' victory on their behalf, friends, that is all we are. So as we gather on this first day of a brand new year, I want to encourage you. 2023 may be a very, very good year. It may also be a terrible year. We just don't know what it'll bring. We're a few hours in. There's a long way to go. But if you know Jesus, if you have overcome because you're trusting Jesus, then you don't just have a new year to look forward to, you've got a new creation to look forward to, a new everything, where the universe and everyone in it will be in harmony once more. There'll be no more mourning or crying or death or pain anymore, and you'll be in God's presence forever. It's a place where God himself will live among us in perfect peace and where he will satisfy us forever from his own big-hearted generosity. Make sure today that you're heading for that new creation. If you're not sure where you'll be forever, maybe today is a good day to talk to a Christian friend that you trust. Or come up and talk to me or to Ben after the service. We'd only be too happy to help you and answer questions and pray with you. Uh, We've got some uh, leftover booklets and pamphlets from Christmas. You're welcome to take one of those as well if you'd like to think about this question of who is Jesus and why did he come and what does it mean to follow him. Welcome to come grab those from me afterwards. I don't know if you're in the habit of making New Year's resolutions. Saying to Melissa on the drive here this morning, we saw a lot of New Year's resolutions running up and down the footpaths. Good on them, I say. But I wonder, what will you do on the beginning of this new day of the new year? Will this be a Will this be a year where you know that you're heading for a new creation? So I believe that once we know we're heading to the new creation, we can face 2023 with greater peace, greater joy, and greater anticipation. And, you know, we can see John's perspective at the very end of the book, where, you know, I don't know if he was writing at the beginning of a year or the end of a year, but after he saw all these things, after all these terrifying visions, he rested secure in the fact that Jesus wins in the end. And that by trusting Jesus, he was already and forever on the winning side. So may his closing words be ours too at the beginning of a new year. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. So he says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, amen. Let's pray.